The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. But I am blessed that God is with us um, always. And it's a reminder because sometimes we can um, struggle understanding how God is with us. But we ought to come into this place and giving thanks, as the psalmist would say, because we know that God has blessed us with another day to give him praise, to give him glory and honor in everything that we do. Amen, somebody. Uh, as I, before we got, go into our summary this morning, I just want to recognize uh, some people that are all the way from South America. Somebody say South America. Argentina. We often greet in Argentina uh, with kiss and a hug, but uh, because it is COVID season, we won't do that. But we have uh, Kyle, Claudia, and their children with us. Uh, They're missionaries from Argentina, and we also have their pastor, Marcelo Robles, who is uh, a a pastor in uh, Argentina. They have done a great deal of work some of our folks have went down there to visit them, and I've known them for several years now, probably since 2014, I believe, and I've built an incredible relationship with them, and I'm thankful that they're in here to worship with us today. They just came to worship with us. They traveled nine hours just to worship with us today. Can you believe that? They're going back tomorrow. Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, as we dive into God's Word, many of us already know that we have been in the book of Isaiah And I know you are thrilled about continuing in the book of Isaiah. Amen, Amen, somebody. Uh, And what what you, uh, what we seen last week was, uh, and I want to make sure that we tie this, is that God is our vindicator. uh, And that Israel uh, needed to understand this. And they needed to understand it because oftentimes it was a struggle for them to understand what God meant for them in their lives being in captivity. Uh, we can all understand that. We can understand that it is hard to believe or trust or even understand a God while we're locked up, held captive and bound by others. And so their gods look bigger, stronger. And so uh, what happens? You want to worship those gods. You want to, uh, you want to concede and give in to them. And Isaiah is saying, no, do not do that. Um, but in these servant songs that we've been going through over the last couple of weeks, uh, what we uh, acknowledge is that This is, in my personal opinion, somewhat of an exhortation um, to continue to trust. I won't say my personal opinion, from what I've read, uh, an exhortation to trust in the Lord um, in a a way that, from what they understand, will allow them to disown, relinquish, give up everything else to continue to walk and trust in him. Um, That's a word for us. And as we believe God for that, um, I want us to go to him in prayer before we read his word and go into the sermon. Father, we uh, are thankful that you are our God. One that is Emmanuel, reminding us that you're always with us, that you're with us in some of the most troubling times when we think that how can a God who is good be with us while we're suffering? Well, Lord, you help us to understand that you're a God that is just and righteous in all your ways, and that you are the one that orders our steps. You're the one that makes provision, and you providentially work ahead proactively towards everything that we do. And so, Lord, I pray that we will see what you have to say in your word, 
Hide me, Lord, beneath your cross. Allow my words uh, to be glorifying to you because they're your words that you have given to me. Uh, And Lord, I pray that your people, Lord, will hear from you and not from Michael Davis. For it is in Jesus' mighty name we pray all God's people said together. Amen. Amen. In light of Black History Month, I want to acknowledge uh, the first missionary from North America who was a slave who left the American colonies from Jamaica. His name was George Leal. George Leal. In 1718, he went to Jamaica and began his ministry of preaching in 1783 for nearly a full, full decade before William Carey sailed to India from England. Leo was born a slave in the colony of Virginia, and he launched his preaching career in 1773. And, and la- a year later, gathered slaves for what, would co- what could be considered the first African-American church in America after the Revolutionary War. The recently freed uh, Leo fled to Jamaica to escape being re-enslaved. I want to stop there and go into our passage to read. All of us need a preacher to hear God's word. Well, you say, well, I'm not qualified to be a preacher. Yes, you are. God had given us his word in order for us to encourage others. How will they hear the gospel unless it is preached? Listen to Isaiah 50, 4 through 50, chapter 50, verse 4 through 51, verse 8. Word of the Lord says this, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hide not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, I know, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all who will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Oh, behold, all who all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire. 
and by torches that you have kindled. This is this you have been have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Chapter 51, verses 1 through 8. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were drugged. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him. But he was but one when I called him. Don't miss that. That I might bless him to be, to bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all, who, all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and, from, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who are righteous, you know my righteousness, the people who, in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their reviling, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. We need a preacher. When George Lyle went along to preach this message to slaves, which some would say started the first African-American Baptist church, he preached to a people who were in captivity. Preached to a people who, when heard of this good news, heard that the only way that they ought to obey this good news was if they were to obey a master. Not the master of the Lord, but the master who held them in captivity. George Lyle preached to those individuals. And as he preached, it was freeing for them to understand a message that would convert four, 500 individuals and baptize over 400 individuals into knowing who the Lord is. Though that some may not have been freed from the plantation, they were freed spiritually to know that they were no longer slaves to their sins, but yet now slaves 
to righteousness. This is important for us to understand because Lyle achieved a successful evangelistic ministry and planted several churches, but yet he faced opposition. But the opposition did not cause him to divert from his mission. The power that caused him to have such a powerful mission and a powerful ministry was not because he had willpower, was not because he was the most knowledgeable, but because he had the Spirit of the Lord with him to walk into dangerous places, preaching a dangerous message to a people who were feared or who feared those that held them in captivity. I think that this relates to our passage in many ways. It relates to where we are today. Because the purpose of sharing this story is that we ought to be thankful that God has given individuals over the years prophetic courage to preach truth that brought about, spirit, brought about liberty and justice and salvation for those that have been held captive. You may say, I've never been a slave, but yes, I would, di- but I would disagree and say, yes, you have been. And at times still go back to being a slave to your own pleasure. Slave, held captive by fulfilling yourself, only looking to the self-centeredness of one's own care and ideas that you have yet been a slave. But we've all needed to hear this gospel message in order to free us. And this should give us a gratitude because truth cannot always come from places or do not always come from places that we recognize or that we trust or people that we care to hear from. Children, you would say, yes, I don't want to listen to mommy and daddy tell me the truth. But here is what we ought to understand. The church is the mother of such truth. And God is the father who holds this truth. It was ancient church fathers who said once that no one can have God as father but does not have the church as mother. Augustine North African church father also said that, look, mother church is in labor. See, she is groaning in travail to give birth to you. Beloved, it is necessary to allow the church to nourish your spiritual life instead of entertaining it. That's not the big idea, but yet I, I want to I reiterate that it, it is necessary to allow the church to nourish your spiritual life instead of entertaining it. And the purpose of me saying that is because I believe that we, if understanding nourishment, will be able to feel this spiritual depletion whenever we disregard the church and disregard the people of God in order for us to go about things and life in our own way. Church becomes entertainment only when we want to consume for our own well-being. I need a word for me. How is the ch- what is the church doing for me? Beloved, the big idea this morning is humbling and yet hopeful. It is this, that the Father gave his Son so that we will serve Christ and his church. Matthew, I forgot to give you that, so y'all probably don't have that up there. But, Christ, but the Father gave his Son, it's basic, so that we will serve Christ and his church. 
Mike, we know that already. Well, here it is. This is what I believe and I want to take time to do this morning is to exhort us and instruct us, Pastor. Because I think that if we are to be the church and the people of God that cares deeply about the needs of one another, I think that we should consider oneself over others in a way today that will encourage us to continue to walk in our spiritual journey. That will continue to, for some of us who are held captive by some of the things of our past, by some of the things that we're tormented by, by some of the things that we struggle with, that we be liberated because of the transforming work of God's power, but also because of the love of his church. Have you ever been loved so much that you didn't want to go back to your own foolishness? Has anybody cared for you so much that you knew you couldn't just walk into your old sinful ways? Beloved, that's what I believe happens when we serve each other. That when I look to you and when you look to me or when we look to one another, remember, we begin to meet needs that no one else can meet. Over the past couple of weeks, I've had the privilege of talking to several of our community group leaders. And if I've not spoken with you yet, please, let's talk. But I've taken the time to hear about where everyone is and how the church, how community groups are going and how, listening to the spiritual health of our people. Beloved, it is difficult to hear that people are scattered and oftentimes cannot be connected because of the situation we're in today. Though that I believe in the Bible right here that they may have been scattered because of what they believe, the God, how they believed in God, I think that we're merely scattered in some ways of how we have been culturally raised as Christians. I don't think it's necessarily due to the essentials of our faith that we're scattered, but yet I believe that we're scattered because of cultural normativities that allowed us to, to guide us in the way that we think about church, think about being a body. See, if we were all to take under the mindset that this is God's house and thus in God's house we serve God together, then the mistrust, the self-centeredness, and the spiritual depletion I wouldn't say that they would all necessarily be answered, that it would be perfected, but yet we will sense a level of spiritual healing and encouragement in a body that we thrive to be with one another and care deeply about the needs of each other. Am I making sense this morning? Some of y'all may not shout or jump out your seats, but I believe that what we ought to understand from this servant song is that God is trying to focus his attention on standing with his people, but we ought to take the model of the servant and understand how we ought to stand with God's people as well. God is always with his people. We can't be Emmanuel, but how do we stand with God's people? How do we stand with downtown church? How do we stand with the mission and the vision of our church? How do we do it together, beloved? I believe that we do it because we were made on purpose. That's one of our points. I believe we do it when we fear the Lord, when we are to fear the Lord. And I believe we do it when we are to listen to the salvation that comes from God. I just said we are to listen, but it is for the salvation that is to come. We are made on purpose. 
We are to fear the Lord together, and we are to listen to the Lord together for the coming of his salvation. When we look at this again, we see that, yes, Isaiah has already passed away. And so the oracles that we read are oracles that are written, as some would think, that by one of his disciples or one of his scribes, someone that picked up his scrolls and began to read it or sing it to the church. I would like to think that they would sing these things in some form or fashion because of the rhythmic of the language. But however, I believe that as they were reading such oracles, that the encouragement was coming for them to understand that though that Isaiah was yet with them, God had given them a word before he passed away to understand exactly where they were. Remember, Isaiah knew and prophesied that they would go in captivity, but he was not in captivity with them in Babylon. So how can he articulate how one feels. It's because he's telling somewhat of his own story. And that's where you see, he says in verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. Some would say, maybe it's another servant that they're talking about. I believe maybe it's Isaiah. But then there's also this foreshadowing, foretelling of a, a greater servant. And that servant is the one that we all know, and that is Jesus Christ. But listen to what he says. He says, the Lord has given me, a, me that tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Essentially, we understand that many people in society today have a word. Many people in society today have good things to say. But the word of God is the most important word of all. I say that because much of our preaching and much of the things that we entertain ourselves with are not things that are the word of God. Historical facts are not the word of God. People giving their own inspiration and motivative talk are not the word of God. What we see here is the, is the writer telling them that God had actually made him in order or gave him a word in order for him to be devoted to, not for personal success or selfish gain, but to have the courage to continuously preach a truth, even though that it was not perceived to be noble or that he was famous among his peers. In fact, he suffered greatly. We see this in verse 6, where it says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hide not my face from disgrace and spitting. First of all, we understand that what he is saying is he suffered because of the very thing that God had taught him to, pre to preach and teach and have prophetic courage to tell those that were held in captivity. Can you believe that? His bruises were not wounds and bru bruises and wounds for for, um, for his own reward or gain, but it was for the risk of telling the truth to a people who were held in captivity. I remember when, and I've shared this before, but Brian Stevenson, who wrote in Just Mercy, he shared the story of how when he was giving a speech, and uh, as he was giving his speech, uh, a man called him from the back after his speech and said, do you know what you're doing? And he did not understand what he was getting to. And he said again, do you know what you're doing? 
And he says, no, sir, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and he said, you're beating the, br- the drum for justice. And after which he had shared each wound that he had suffered because he was marching for civil rights and for, in, for black Americans and any other individual who was held uh, against, the, uh, uh, did not have the privilege of voting, uh, he showed him the wounds of every year and every place where he received a bruise or a wound in order to fight for justice. And he showed him, he said, I got this in Alabama, this wound in 1864 for, partic- for registering people to vote. He showed him another wound for registering people to vote. And he told him, you're beating the drum for justice. And he said, these wounds are not my wounds. These bruises are not my bruises. I would venture to say that Isaiah says the same thing. The, the wounds and the bruises that he has suffered are not his. The spitting is not his. The snatching of his beard, which was in that time a humiliating fact, um, a, a humiliating point for many in that culture, snatching out his beard was to demean him, to abuse him, and make him lesser than. The reason... This is important for us, beloved, is because the message of God can oftentimes try to be diverted because it is a hard and convicting message. It's a hard and convicting truth. And many people do not want to hear a truth. But when you think about being weary, who do you want to hear from? Is it your favorite TED Talk? Is it your favorite podcaster? Is it the favorite YouTube video? Or might I say, is it the church? My son oftentimes wants to hear from his mother. You know how? Because when I tell him to do something, or when I tell him he can't have something, guess who he goes to ask? It right in front of my face. So disrespectful. But God has given us the church. The Father has given us the church so that we may ask, so that we may grow, so that we may be spiritually equipped and matured in such a way that we may not forget the very things that we are taught. Remember, he is saying that the Lord has taught him, has discipled him, has given him the ability to learn how to speak to a weary people. Don't you remember when Moses did not believe that he could talk to his own people? Moses talked about his disabilities of being mute, deaf. He talked about his speech. Well, God said, who gives those who are mute in Exodus 14? Mute, who are deaf. I'm sorry, no, Exodus 4:11. Who are mute, deaf, and blind? Who gives them the ability to, to see? Who makes them this way? He says, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? The reason I believe this relates is because sometimes I know it's difficult for us to know how to speak to one another in love. I know it's difficult for us to tell each other the truths that are necessary. And so we feel ill-equipped to speaking to certain people. Pastor, friend of mine, Dr. Dan Burns, actually, one time as a pastor, I was dealing with a situation that I felt was way above my pay grade. And he reminded me not to feel like I'm despising myself because of my age and how old those individuals were. 
I think that, beloved, we can learn from one another because of the message that we're talking. You're saying, like, what does this have to do with building the church? It has to do with building the church because I believe that the courage that's necessary for us is to speak to one another in love and to, be in, to do, do so in such a way that we give God glory by simply caring for each other. I believe Isaiah's message goes, uh, it, it, it goes directly to the power in which, yes, we're all converted. There were some that were not converted. There were some that were struggling in their conversion. And what do we need to understand? How do we need to be encouraged in our walk? How do we need to be encouraged by God, by the people of God? But also, in doing so, we have to do what? To encourage the people of God. Devote ourselves to such teaching. Morning by morning, the scripture says, he awakens me. Isaiah is making the point that God gives him the ability not only to teach, but hear. He awakens him, meaning that he devotes himself to God, hearing from God so that God might mold him and shape him, and that he is attuned to the voice of God so much so that he can hear God's voice over the torment, over the spitting, over the bruising, over the wounding. God's voice is more loud and more powerful over the pains of suffering that tempt him to turn away from God, to turn away from his church, to turn away from the people. It is God who helps us to sustain Do you understand and do many of us understand that when we want to walk away from the church, when we no longer want to trust in the people, trust in God or the church because we've been hurt by it, bruised by it, affected by it, that we ought to hear God's voice over every tormenting voice that tells us that we ought to lead God's people or that we ought to leave God. The things that say, I I shouldn't be treat it this way. I ought to lead God's people. I'm going to just be very direct for downtown church. We are going through so much racial strife in our society. How can we continue to do the mission and the vision of being a church that is trying to be a radical community that loves Christ and neighbor in such a way that brings people together so that we may stand together no matter the pigmentation of our skin, no matter how much money we have in our pockets. No matter how much education we have, God has called us to be a people because we are his people. He didn't call us to be a divided people, but a united people. And trust me, when held in captivity, a lot of division can happen. Some folks can turn on you when you don't even know they're going to turn on you. Some folks can make some excuses when you don't, need, you don't realize that they can make certain excuses. Beloved, the excuses that we make, the things that we, that, that try to cause us to walk away, you're saying, I'm not trying to walk away, Mike, I'm trying to draw near, but I'm saying this because I believe that we have people in our bodies struggling that need to hear, that are weary and need to hear the word that God is teaching you that need to hear the phone ring and picked up and say, I'm just calling because I felt like God told me to call you. It's simple, but it's powerful. I can't tell you how I've been blessed by simply talking or texting individuals. And you heard me say this weeks before. How about we call one another, text each other? Because when you are in isolation, 
the devil does his best work. The devil tells you that you aren't worth anything. When you have come out, think about it. We have several uh, mothers who have had children. Do you not think that maybe suffering postpartum stress in isolation can be amplified 10 times over? So every meal that we take to one another on a meal train, every phone call, every text message, every time we ask and inquire how an individual is doing, even if they give us a one-word answer, it, I believe, can bless an individual. We ought to mother each other. We ought to nourish each other. We ought to nurture one another by God's word. Divided people is not who God wants us to be. And Israel is being instructed on how to vote themselves to God. Listen to what he says through verses not four through nine. The Lord God has given me. The Lord God has opened my ear, but the Lord God helps me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. What we shall notice here is that the person doing all of the work is God, the Lord God. The person making all of the moves is God, the Lord God. But the people of God can oftentimes think that we are doing these things. No, I'm not saying that we are doing these things on our own will. We're selfish individuals. We're self-righteous in nature. But God changes our hearts in order to see one another. God helps us to begin to speak words of truth to each other in moments of distress. We can be forgetful and ungrateful. And you see, we can be, do so in such a way that our spirituality becomes our own individual spirituality. And, it, it, it's, and it's, it's me and Jesus. It's me and my Jesus instead of God's people in God's church. Why am I emphasizing these things. It's because I believe that, yes, the church has had spirituality at times, but the church has not had truth. Many people are spiritual. Several people are spiritual. They say 70% of college students go to, go to college enrolling, trying to navigate um, their life path and spirituality included. But on that life path, in a, in a postmodern society, in a society that's anti-Christian, anti-church, what happens is a lot of times you're, you're very spiritual, but not, you don't, your spirituality does not have truth. When our spirituality is pregnant with truth, what happens is, and it's difficult for many, many times for all of us to hear this, is that we know that our goodness and our virtue it's not the guiding factors of our lives, but it is God who helps us to see. The reason I say that is because I want to go, you know, I remember what I said a couple weeks ago, it's, it, it was hard to look at last month in the Capitol and you see a noose and you see Jesus loves. What, that's been going on for decades, centuries. The contradiction the hypocrisy of the church. The hypocrisy, not just in that, in that arena, but to, to see so, so many people abuse children. Right? The church has been exposed 
Pastors have abused people and their power and privilege. Church leaders have abused power and privilege. So I don't believe the church is innocent. And I believe that several people have been hurt by it and affected by it. But at the same time, we can't say that the church has abided in a truth that's allowed us to feel the freedom and the justice that's necessary. I believe that it is pictured in Romans 8, if we were to say, what, is these, what are these passages uh, encapsulating? Rebecca said it great this morning already. But when God says, what then, or Paul says, and the word of God says this, what then shall separate these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own, but gave, up, gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I want to skip down to just a little bit. 35 of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of, God, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I want to infer just a bit to our time. So a pandemic, racial strife, the pain and hurt from an individual in our, in our own church body, from the suffering that we suffer in our own isolated state, from how someone spoke to us who we believe is a Christian and they shouldn't speak to us this way, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You can make your own list. Is it the bad job? Is it the marriage? Teachers, some of y'all are like, it, it's because I got to go to work next week. But I say a lot of this because I don't believe that we're in a state and we're as vulnerable as we are right now and we're strong by ourselves. And I want you to hear me if this is not, if you, if you feel like, well, I'm, everything is fine, I'm good. I want you to think about other people. I want you to consider others. Because the Bible says, for it is written, for the sake we are, all, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But then here's the question. Do we fear the Lord? We are to fear the Lord, verses 10 through 11. But do we fear the Lord? And how does fearing the Lord actually lead us to be a unified people? It is because this idea of fearing in the Old Testament is not, the, not one of dread and torment. But its use is a compound expression of 
awe and reverence. When we think about that, then the Israelites who were liberated um, out of bondage from the Egyptians, what did they say in Exodus 14, 30 through 31? They responded by fearing the Lord. They responded by fearing the Lord. And we see in verse 10, it's connecting the faithfulness in verse 10 and 11, connecting the faithfulness and obedience of their commitment to God by walking with him. So on, in one regard, I was trying to help us see that God has equipped us for one another. He's made us on purpose. God has equipped us for one another. But then he's, a, he's calling us to fear him in all the ways of our lives. When he says in verse 10, let him, let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on God. But we see the contrast in, in verse 11b. Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. It essentially says that the servant leaves a model in verse 10. Walk, in it, walk by the Lord. Walk in the light. Walk with him. But when you, in verse 11, begin to walk according to your own self-sufficiency, which is creating your own torch and burning yourself by your own torch, what happens is, is that you and your own self-sufficiency no longer rely on God and his church, but rely on yourself in isolating yourself, and then you burn yourself. I think that what it causes us to do is to unlearn some things unlearn behavior and unlearn ways in order for us to learn how to sincerely devote ourselves one to another and to God to be agents of change, not just in the world, not just in a community, but right here in your own home. Y'all know me. Y'all have heard me preach this before. I am sincere about being a change agent in your house before you try to be a change agent somewhere else. How can you love me I mean, how can you love someone else if you can't love me? How can, you, how can you serve someone else if you can't serve me? And why am I saying me? Because I'm a part of the church. We have to do it to one, to one another. It has to abide right here. And I want to be very practical because I think we can reverence God in the way that we unlearn and learn from his word and from the family of God. To be encouragers to one another. One time, I, I, I want to tell y'all, I want to share, once again, personal testimony by being blessed in this church. I walk outside, and a brother blessed me by saying, God, Michael, I'm thankful that God has you here. I'm thankful that you're my pastor. And saying other words of encouragement, it spoke to me, and it still encourages me. You know why? Because the devil can tell me, Mike, you, nobody listening to you. Why are, you, why are you still doing this? The church won't exist in 2020 whatever. What if people just start leaving because the pandemic and everybody's around and downtown church just explodes, I mean implodes? Those are things that your pastor has to think through. I don't just think through it. Richard will tell you he thinks he has to process it to it as well. And so when you think about these things, I, I, I need encouragement and be encouraged. I need that level of encouragement in word and deed. How much more do we need that encouragement in word and in deed? 
sister came over to our house and helped wash dishes one time. Bless me. I know it blessed my wife. Why am I saying that? It's because this season of isolation, so many things are difficult. We just need to pick up the phone a lot of times and say, brother and or sister, the way I want to walk in the light and bless you and trust in the name of the Lord is the way that I care about you and encourage you. That is very practical. The other way that we do it is we pray for one another by name. Because the way that I believe um, we can be walking in the way of the Lord is if I look and I look in my phone, my call index, and I look at the name or I look at the church uh, uh, membership role, uh, and I look at the name and I say, I'm going to pray for Sister Tracy Ward today. I'm going to pray for Brother Kirsch today. I'm going to pray for them by name. I may not know what's going on, but I, I do know he has to go back to school, and so I know that he is going to have to endure some things when teaching. I, I know I'm going to have to pray for uh, my sister Tracy because she has had several things go on over the last several months, so let me just call on them by name. Y'all see what I'm saying? Walking in the way of the Lord is not an individual spiritual walk. Walking in the way of the Lord is to walk so that we may live as self-sacrifice, self-sacrificial beings serving each other. The corporate body is essential in order to keep us intact to continue to glorify God in everything that we do. Personal salvation has been overrated. Right? Everything about me and me coming to Jesus, everything about me and me, what I, how I walk with the Lord, everything about... I, Brother Rose, how, I, I need some encouragement. How have you been staying uh, uh, in tech with the Lord? That's what I... Godly wisdom and counsel. So pray for one another. Encourage each other. And here's the last thing. Learn how to be family with strangers. Learn how to be family with strangers. I don't know every individual that walks into our space or that virtually watches us. Now, I don't know, and it's hard for me as a pastor because not only do I don't know them, now I can't, you know, just willy-nilly try to be with, around a lot of people or whatever because of all of the, all of the issues of the pandemic, but that's, a, that's one thing. But there are so many people. I have to learn how to love people that I believe are part of our body that are strangers. Strangers to me, but I get to know them. Y'all tracking with me this morning? See, beloved, I, I believe that we, we learn this because when we walk in obedience and faithfulness to God, it is in order for us to know how the mother of the church nourishes us to walk in a reverence that will keep us together. I'm going to keep hitting it and smacking it all day long. <laughs> we are here, and God gave himself to, so that we will serve him and serve his church. I know I'm taking my time, but forgive me, because this is a lot of Bible. I'm tired of preaching so many chapters and not being able to take my time. But 51, through, 51 verses 8 through, through 1. Now, this, this is a lot. Okay, because what he does is he gives, you, he gives Israel imagery. The imagery is them connecting to Abraham and Sarah. But who are they? 
Abraham and Sarah are who? Mother and father of the church to multiply the church. Look at what he says here when he says this. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham. He's making this association for which you were hewn. Your father and Sarah who bore you, which you were dug, right? And look at what he says. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. The reason I have focused, and I believe God has called us to focus on the church and serving Christ, is because God multiplied the body in order for us to be a blessing to the nations and a blessing to one another. This is, this is covenant language, Genesis 1, 12, 1 through 2, uh, chapter 3. He called Abraham to himself one and multiplied him and promised to multiply him by making him a great generation. I mean, a great nation. And this, I believe, leaves us as a church to be a church that can leave a legacy. If we, a downtown church, will be a church that leaves a legacy, that comes sacrifice. See, we can be a church that is extremely transient, a church that is extremely um, touch and go. But if we are a church that brings legacy, then we will see every child that has been born in 2020, 2019, 2017, 2018, and past grow up in this church to continue to see it flourish for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. This idea in which we multiply ourselves is not merely us taking, discipling, and replicating ourselves in order for us just to continue to make disciples. It is for us to build and grow the church. If I can have a million children, I would do it in order to continue to disciple to grow the church. But I can't have a million children, and my wife won't let me. But do y'all see what I'm, do y'all see what I'm saying? Do y'all see what, what the Bible is trying to teach us? And being a multiplying individual, multiplying church that helps us as individuals grow together so that we may be comforted as Zion, comforted together as a church. Now get this. He says, for the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. Now, I just want to make this clear because I know I got to I got to get out your way. But think about what he is doing here and think about how he is trying. He has changed it over. I've taught you how to be a disciple. So Isaiah has been taught. He's learned how to care for others and give a message to those that are in bondage and captivity, preaching to them, teaching to them while being beaten, spit on and disregarded and pushed to the margins. But then, you know, the psychological stress, the emotional stress that that brings on one another. Everybody right here has talked about in being in counseling. I don't know what kind of counselors they had in the ancient Near East, but yet that individual, Isaiah, sure enough, needed somebody to talk to, uh, unchanged hand hand to hold on to, which is God. So what I believe when he talks about this level, level of consolation, of comfort, it does not come merely because he sat on a couch with someone. It came because God morning by morning met him and he met God and in his suffering, he felt the Lord near Emmanuel to him by the invitation to come. God has given us this invitation. The story, we know the full picture. The invitation for us to come 
come for him is not that we may be weary. It's not so we can carry our own burden. It's so that we will have a fresh garden that is in the Lord. We will have a wilderness that will become a fruitful garden of Eden. Are you picturing what he's picturing? Are you hearing the song that he is singing to the people of God when they cannot see flourishing, when they cannot see fruitfulness? He is saying, I want you to picture it because I can see it. And I'm telling you, church, you already seen it. You've seen what the Lord has done on the cross. You've seen what the Lord by giving himself up for you. You've seen what God consistently do by transforming your life, by changing you, making you someone from the muck and the mar to someone that you are a beautiful child of God. If we don't care about the mother of the church, if we don't care about one another, we won't survive. I can tell you right now, beloved, I'm passionate about it because I know we're hurting. I know that there are are so many of us that are feeling the pain. But guess what? He says this. This is why we ought to listen. Because he says multiple times, listen to me. Then he says, give attention to me. Listen to me. But what is when the first one he says, 51-1, listen to me, you who... Pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Give attention to me, verse 4, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. Verse 7, listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed of their reviling. I know. It is hard to listen to God when our faith in God is lacking. We struggle because the church seems to be so conservative that it is not progressive enough for where we're going. It's not progressive enough for what the culture is going through. It's not, it's not progressive enough. It's not speaking to every single situation that the culture affirms and we, the church, ought to affirm. But, beloved, if the church just went with the culture, what would it be? If the church was just a spiritual thing that just said, we're going to accept everything that the culture says that we ought to accept, what would we be? But then the question is, who do we listen to? The righteousness in which one seeks is a righteous, from the Lord is a righteousness that's tied directly to, look at what he says. In fact, I, I, can, I can read it right here. So, so, you know, sometimes some folks won't believe me. He says in verse 4, give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for the law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the people. I want to emphasize the fact that what he is tying back to is the very light that we walk in is the very light that is pursuing this justice. The very light that we walk in is a light that pursues this righteousness. The very light that we walk in is a light that consistently does not fear the reproach, but it fear of man, but it fears the Lord. We don't want to honor men and honor society by giving attention to them and listening to society over listening to God because he created it. So what, what, do, we, what do we ought to understand? Here's what we ought to understand. If God gave his son 
Which when we look at Isaiah 53, if we just look back a little further, he gave his son for a reason. Who was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one who, from, from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and he, and we esteem him not. Surely, this is what the Bible says, surely he has been, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, beloved. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. The very thing that we ought to understand is that his bruising was a bruising not for his own sake. His wounding was not a wounding for his own sake. His coming was not a coming for his own sake. The cross was not a cross for his own sake. Oh, he, he, everything that he did in order to, to go through and be with and be upon the people was not for his own sake. I, I don't think John was telling us that he wrapped himself in human flesh for his own sake. I don't, I don't think that he died and rose out of a tomb just for his own sake. I don't think that he went on and showed the nail-pierced hands for his own sake. I don't think that he made this table for us for his own sake. I believe that he made it for us to feast, that he made it so that we may feel his hands and know that the piercings are real. We may see that the blood that flowed from the cross was the blood that flowed for you, not his own sake. His sake was for Zion, not his own sake. His sake was for his church, not his own sake. His sake was for us to be with him and us to be with one another, not for his own sake, but it was for his glory. When we understand how we are made on purpose, and that we fear God by reverencing him together. And that we listen to God by hearing his word time and time again. What it should unlock is for us to see that the very thing that God has blessed us with is the church to nourish us. And we ought to cherish it. So if you know anybody who needs to be encouraged, who needs to... You're not forcing them to come in here, but needs to, somebody to wrap their arm around them somebody to care for them, please, this week, make sure that you think about them. Think about every teacher that's going back to work. Think about every individual, every person that is uh, uh, in the medical field, an essential worker, that has to place themselves at risk every single day. And what that place, places on their mind. Think about the children who have to go back to school. Think about every single individual in our church. God has given us a word for one another. God has allowed us to learn from each other. And God has allowed us to listen to him and one another. Father, we thank you because we know that what you did for us was not for our own, not for your sake, but it was for the advancement of your kingdom and your people. I pray, Lord, that we hear you this morning and you alone. God, that our hearts are filled with joy and thanksgiving, gladness that no one can
cause us to feel a level of dismay or reproach. Give us a joy, Lord, that only you can give. And help us, Lord God, to continue to love you and worship you in every single way. I think about some folks who are hurting and want to walk away from the church. Will you help us, Lord Jesus, to love them and care for them? Will you help us, God, to see outside of ourselves so that we may have a a message and a word for the people of God? For it is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.